The Holy Gospel according to John, the third chapter. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. And Jesus answered him, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after, being, after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What, have born, what is born of flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to Jesus, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you a teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, Yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not, do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one is ascended into heaven except the one who is descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes in him might have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The Gospel of the Lord. I invite you all to be seated. So, you might recognize one of these verses in here as one that has been terribly popular throughout our popular culture. For surely God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but so the world might have life through... Oh, wait, that's not the popular one, is it? I think the popular one is, you know, for God so loved the world that he sent his only Son to die for us so that whoever believes might have eternal life. But John 3.16 is incomplete without John 3.17 that it is not God's intention to condemn the world, but it is God's intention to redeem the world through Jesus Christ. And... In the same way that we've talked a few times about what judgment looks like, and last week, following our confirmation class, I don't want you all to be jealous, but the second service got bonus Bible, and we read more Bible during the sermon than we read during the lessons. I know, you're just sitting here like, Pastor, I can't believe you would cheat us like that. So, so I want to give you the opportunity to go back and read what it was that I gave the second service last week, which was Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through whatever it was prior to whatever we read. So just know that's part of what you're able to do for your own devotion. You're welcome. Now you don't feel cheated, I know. But we, we had this idea that, that judgment is a word that is hard, that it's terrible, that it's something that's bad. And the same way we hear the word consequences and we think it's something that's bad because who says to you when you've done something nice for them, I just want you to understand the consequences of your actions. Y'all don't say that in your house? I usually hear that after I've done something that I wish I hadn't done and somebody says to me, I just want you to understand the consequences of your actions. It's, it's amazing the difference a little bit of tone makes when we hear things, isn't it? And, and so one of the things that I hear in John 3.16, which Luther called the gospel in miniature, 
is, is in the context of 17 because it tells us what it really is that God wants to do. Yes, we hear in 16 that God so loves the world, but isn't it pretty often that we hear people talk about the love of God and then in the same breath end it with something that sounds an awful lot like or else? Because God loves us, but, but God's just kind of waiting to get us, right? And, and I think that there's a, there's a phrase that I think is a really interesting one that's been around for a long time, people talking about being spiritual but not religious. And, and this verse in John 3, or this text in John 3, is a good one that gets at what I think people are really saying when they say that thoughtfully. I think sometimes now it's just kind of become a cliche. Oh, I'm spiritual but not religious. And sometimes I joke and say that I, sometimes I feel religious but not spiritual because sometimes that's just the way faith runs, right? But I think one of the things that it means when we say it meaningfully is that I, I believe in the presence of God. I believe that God is out there. I believe things about God, even though sometimes I'm not certain how much I buy into all of it. And I think if we're really honest, all of us fall into that just a little bit, don't we? we? There are lots of things that we see and talk about and profess and proclaim, but we also have those moments where we wonder about all of it. And that's okay because God's big enough for that. But I think also we get frustrated by the trappings of what it means to follow Jesus in the context of religion. Like not, not necessarily belonging to a congregation, because I think belonging to a congregation brings an understanding of what religion is, especially a healthy congregation like this one, that tells us all the positive things about religion. That we have a group of people who are here for us because they're a part of our family. We have a people who care when we're sick or when we're upset. We have a, pe- a group of people who care when we're hurting. We have people who will walk with us through those important moments of our life and, and teach us not only faith, but help us learn what it means to be human. You know, those are all the positive aspects of religion. And I think also being part of a congregation means that we have a group of people around us that when, we, when they see us acting in un- unhealthy ways, thank God for the people who are nosy enough to say, you know, I've seen that you seem to be going through a hard time right now. You know, is, is there anything you need to talk about? Or I've seen some of your unhealthy behaviors. I really would like to talk about it. And that's not judgment. You know, it's not, it's not someone coming and saying, oh, tisk tisk, you're a bad person, and let's just talk about how much you need to repent. That's love when someone sees that you're hurting and that your behavior is acting like you're hurting. And they say to you, because I'm concerned about you, we ought to talk about this. Right? And I think that's the thing also that we struggle with in our culture too, is that in a, in a culture that is so individualistic, where nobody can tell me what's right and wrong, and just think about how we talk about judgment in our culture, that you know, if you say anything that, that seeks to hold anyone to any accountability at all, they say to you, well, Jesus said not to judge. Well, Jesus did, well, he did and he didn't. He says, judge not, that part's true. And then, or else you'll be judged. And the measure by which you judge is the measure by which you will be judged. And so there's, there's like judgment, and it's the judgy judgment that makes you feel bad. And that's when, when someone gives you a really hard measure. I think that's what Jesus was talking about. But then there's discernment. I see your behavior, and I see what it's producing in your life, and, and I'd like to help you stop hurting, right? Right? 
So the, the reason that we're talking about all of this like this is we think about Nicodemus who comes to Jesus by night, and there's the obvious joke, Nick at night, for those of us who are middle-aged, right, and remember that. Um, so, so Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night, and Nicodemus is a representative of the temple authority. He's a Pharisee. He's, he's someone who is a teacher of Israel. He is someone who is certainly religious. And, and in John, because John is written around uh, somewhere around 120 AD, and so this is a time after, the, after Christians have begun to be sort of persecuted. It's a time after the Jewish authorities have been kicking Christians out of the temple. And so there's a lot of hard feelings about the Jewish people in the, in, in the time when John is writing the gospel. There's a reason that this gospel, a lot of times, by people who are trying to speak against Judaism, use passages from the gospel of John, because John speaks from a place of hurt about what his experience and his community's experience has been in the temple. And if you've been kicked out of the places where you grew up, and people you grew up with who told you God loves you but you can't be here anymore have hurt you, of course the things that you write and think about are going to reflect that hurt. So I want you to hear this. When, when I talk about Nicodemus and the temple authority and the rest of it, especially over the next few weeks, we have four weeks of John, I want you to hear when we talk about the Jewish people a little bit different idea, and I want us to be really intentional about it, that what John is speaking of, if he says something that's hard about the Jewish faith, it's because John's hurting, and the community is hurting. But God's promise has not left the people who he promised through Abraham that there is love for them too. The Jewish people are still God's blessed people. So there's Nicodemus who comes to Jesus by night. And he is a representative of the temple authority. Think about what Jesus has done so far in John. We've, we've learned that Jesus is the Word made flesh who dwells among us. And so theologically, we begin to understand that Jesus is very important. Also, Jesus has been baptized and the Holy Spirit has descended and remained upon him. And so all of a sudden, there's been this kind of mystical, spiritual revelation of who it is that Jesus is to people outside of his close circle. Also, Jesus has already cleansed the temple in the Gospel of John. This waits till a little bit later in the other Gospels. So, so think about this. It's John chapter 3. Jesus has only just turned water to wine, which is my favorite miracle, by the way. And already in this Gospel, Jesus has been into the temple and overturned tables and told everybody that his, his Father's house is a house of prayer for all people and not a marketplace so it makes sense that Nicodemus now comes to Jesus to kind of have a conversation with him saying, what are you doing? Like, I have some understanding that nobody can do the things that you do apart from the fact that they're sent by God. And so Nicodemus isn't necessarily coming to Jesus as a doubter, but, but Nicodemus is certainly coming to Jesus for some clarity. And I think that's something that I identify with really strongly in this conversation. Because I, I find that there are a lot of moments in my life where I, I think I, I buy into the things we talk about pretty well, but I have a lot of questions about how that works. And, and Nicodemus, I think, demonstrates something about faith that is very important. 
we, we have a sense that, that faith means that I completely buy into everything that we talk about all the time. And so when we, when we hear people in our culture talk about believing in Jesus, you know, it, it's always kind of with this caveat. I have friends who say things like, once saved, always saved. But you better be careful because you never know what will happen. So make sure your forgiveness is always stocked up, right? Or, or we have people who talk about there, there are sins that, that you confess and God will forgive you your sins. And that's great. Your sins are forgiven. And, and then in the same breath almost, they'll say, but you know, if you do things over and over again, God's not just going to keep forgiving you, even if you ask. You know, so we have these conflicting messages about what it means to be people of God. And I, I think also we have these conflicting messages about what it means to have faith. We have this idea that on the one hand, you know, a little bit of faith goes a long way. And then on the other hand, well, if you don't believe enough, and you know what happens if you don't believe enough, right? And so here's, here's what I think John and Nicodemus are trying to get at through this conversation, is that, that faith is not about certainty, like that dead set certainty that if I jump off this platform, then I'm going to land on the floor. I'm like 99.9% sure that I'm not going to float if I jump. Now, I'm not athletic, so I'm not going to test it. But, but just rest assured, if I, jump off this, if I jump off, I'm going to land on the floor, and I'm pretty certain about that, right? But I, I think faith is something that's a little bit different when we talk about what it means to believe and buy into the, believing in God. I think more than certainty, something even holier is demanded. It's an openness to hope. That's really what I think belief is. And, and when we see Nicodemus coming to Jesus at night, first, so no one can see him because he doesn't want to, you know, if this Jesus guy turns out to be crazy, then he doesn't want to be seen going in and out of his house and, treating, and offering him some sort of respect or, or whatever that he doesn't deserve. But he goes to Jesus by night seeking, thinking that somehow God must be sending him but not understanding how this works, right? And so I, I think what Nicodemus had was an openness to hope that somehow what Jesus was doing is something that is of God. As, as we think about Lent and all the different things that we do during Lent so that we might be able to deepen our faith and understand what it means to believe in Jesus more and what it means to be a, a person who follows God, to be a person who lives in this community, I think that's the thing that we can really dig into this week, an openness to hope. And in those moments when we're afraid and we just don't think that there's anything that's going to be okay again, that openness to hope leaves us a little bit of opportunity for something new. You know, when, when we're angry and we just don't know whether we can forgive a person, an openness to hope. When we're at our jobs and we have those moments where we just realize we made a really small, stupid mistake that probably isn't going to change a lot, but we feel really dumb for having done it, and openness to hope that that's just not going to make everyone else think, us an think we're an idiot might go a long way, right? You know, it's not just in the big things, it's in the little things. That's when we hear faith the size of a mustard seed and talking about a little bit goes a long way, a little bit of openness to the idea that there might be a love that calls us and accepts us and welcomes us and holds us and cares for us. And even though it changes everything around us and demands 
a lot of us because love is demanding it. Love is not passive. And openness to that idea can go a long way in those moments when we're feeling kind of dry, can't it? So there, there's so much in this passage that I would love to get to. And, and I encourage you to continue to, to plumb its depths. But that's what I'd like for us to ponder in our prayers this week. That openness to the possibility of hope, especially during those times in our lives where we just don't feel like anything is enough or that we're enough or we don't have enough. A little bit of hope that what God has put in you is enough will go a long way. Amen.